fracaso. Tremendo fracaso. Doble fracaso. Tremendo. Doble fracaso. Cada que suceden este tipo de fracasos. Un tremendo fracaso para el fútbol mexicano. El resultado de ayer, eh, con justa razón, se ha calificado como fracaso. Esto es un asqueroso fracaso. Un asqueroso fracaso. Welcome, Hercules Gomez, joined by Mauricio Pedrosa. You're not going to believe it, but fracaso means failure. And on the heels of one of the biggest failures in Mexican history, Mexican footballing history, I should say, Sebastián Salazar decides not to show up for work. I don't know what to make of it, but I'm lucky enough to be joined by Mauricio Pedrosa. Mau, please help me. Help me understand what is going on. I am, I am not afraid. I'm here to represent uh, exactly what Sebastián Salazar didn't want us. Exactly what Sebastián Salazar is avoiding right now. Yes. I'm not running away from any criticism. I don't know. Do, do our colleagues uh, label this as a fracaso or not? It was. I don't know if it was not clear with the what, clip that we just saw. They, they may have mentioned it once. Wow. Wow. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that. We have uh, obviously a great show for everyone, but let's Let's get things started with what happened at San Pedro Sula. Mexico playing Guatemala, a spot at the next Under 20 World Cup and also at the next Olympics on the line. This is minute number 10. Good chance for Mexico, but Esteban Lozano with his attempt going wide. And right after that, it looks like Mexico was, was in control of the game, but Guatemala hurt. They played a very, very solid match. 39 minutes, and there it is. Arquimides Ordóñez, 1-0 for Guatemala. Arquimides Ordóñez, what a name, right? Uh, Nestor Cabrera with a nice, oh, I'll give him the dance, give him the dance. 1-0. 53rd minute. That's Hi. another good chance for Mexico. The shot by Fidel Ambris, but Esteban Lozano blocks the shot, but then 73rd minute, Mexico finally fans, finds the back of the net. Look at the celebration. Game tied. Yeah, it's Lozano off his back, shoulder, whatever you want. Mismo Lozano, the same Lozano, and the penalty kick in the oh, 9 minutes, it's the 88 minutes. Oh, that was it. No, 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 no. That was the ticket for the World Cup penalty kicks, and it was all Guatemala's goalkeeper. What an exhibition. He saved four PKs in total, and what do you think, Guatemala? With a shocker. This is the penalty kicks. And look at the Guatemala goalkeeper, man. He was awesome all night long. Moreno was very good. Give Guatemala credit. We're going to talk a lot about Mexico, but what Guatemala has done after losing, what was it, 5-1 in the opening game to eliminate Canada, eliminate Mexico. Unbelievable, but you look here. The story is the elimination of El Tri. But you see the ups and downs. Third time missing on the World Cup since the year 2000. But in between, the Mexican national team actually won two medals. Gold in 2012 in London and most recently in 2020, the bronze medal in Tokyo. But most importantly, we'll miss first U20 World Cup in a long, long time. So I think we have to start dissecting what this truly means. It is obviously a big, big fracaso. But how big of a deal is this for Mexican soccer? It's a huge fracaso. It's a massive deal. Um, 
This is the worst footballing moment in Mexico's history. Now, let me just... That's a big statement. Let me just, for a second, give you some context. Let's go back to September of last year. That's when it starts. You lose Campeones Cup to Cruz Azul. I'm sorry, Cruz Azul to Columbus. Okay? Then you play the CONCACAF Nations League final in Denver against the U.S. men's national team, you lose that game and a game that you were winning. You then go on in that same summer, I think it was 60 days, I believe, and you play against the U.S. men's national team in the Gold Cup final. And what they played, a C team against your A team, you lose that. World Cup qualifying, you don't win a single game versus the U.S. or Canada. Well, that's just that. Well, Liga Mekis versus MLS All-Stars, you lose that as well. But it's an All-Star game. What does that matter? I'm showing you a trend right now. CONCACAF Champions League final, the Seattle Sounders. The first team, Major League Soccer team, that's going to go to a Club World Cup because Pumas couldn't beat him. So Mexican soccer is now showing us this. And then here you are, here you are. But everything that we've been hearing, because you and I hear it all the time with our colleagues down in Mexico, is, yeah, but look at the U.S. When you guys get a medal, you guys don't even go to the uh, to the Olympic Games. We, we are, we're, we're so good in, in youth national team tournaments, and, and they are. They're, they're powerhouses in it. But now you're not in the U-20, and now you don't have Olympic Games. This is the cherry on top of what is already an abysmal year. That's why it's a huge fracaso, because you're adding so much into this. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch a little bit uh, later on the show on uh, the magnitude of this and this trend that you are speaking of and, and how you very, very well presented that. But I'm going to go and try to represent or try to present the argument of why this is actually one of the biggest, biggest fracasos in Mexican soccer history. You are going to miss on a full generation of players who won't have the chance to compete at the top level when we talk about national teams under 20 and the Olympics. And when you consider this, most of these players are 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, yeah. even 20-year-olds, not 20, but 18 and 19-year-olds, who in four years, some of them maybe were going to have a shot at playing for the senior national team in the 2026 World Cup. That's the plan, right? Now, they won't have the possibility of competing at underage level, under 20, Olympics. So that's why this is a massive failure. We can go deep into, is this a talented squad or not? Does this team have a lot of good players or not? I think this is a reflection on how poorly the executives of the Mexican National Federation have handled in the last few years, three, four years, not only the Mexican national team at the senior level, but now when we thought the underage level were very solid, very good teams, now we can see it's not the case. Yeah, a lot of that was masking maybe some of the things we're, we're going to present in a little while, right? You knew that these problems existed, but the fact that Mexico, whether it was at the senior national team level or their youth national teams, would dominate CONCACAF, it would mask over or pape over some of those cracks. No longer the case. Now... I know what some people are going to say, like, maybe we're being a little too harsh here. This did happen to be the first time they were scored on yeah. in this tournament. Yeah. It was the first yeah. goal they gave up. They, they had scored had, 19. They had scored 19. They hadn't conceded in four games. And hadn't conceded in four games. Then this happens. But these peculiar circumstances where because you don't make it onto the next round, you're automatically out of not only the World Cup, the U-20 World yeah. Cup, but you're out of the Olympics. So their peculiar circumstances, yes, but it forces Mexican soccer to confront the actual issues. Now, what kind of experience are you as a national team going to give to these players, right? Because that's a big part of their development. Now, let me ask you this, because you played against Mexican national teams. Do you believe teams like this look 
look other teams like Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. I know what you're getting they, at. They, they look down on them. Not that they look down. They just don't take them as seriously. And, and this is a reflection of maybe they didn't take them as seriously. But credit to Guatemala and what they did. It was not an easy feat by any uh, any means. And <laughs> they, they pulled it out. So you have to give credit, but you also have to signal what went wrong. Yeah, a lot of fingers now are pointing at Liga MX. And Liga MX president, Mikel Arreola, uh, was introducing an uh, agreement with Italian the, the Italian Soccer Federation. And he, he was actually, this is before the game, by the way, he was bragging about how well Mexico handles their youth system. Let's take a listen. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Lo que queremos comunicarle a Europa es que México es uno de los mejores formadores de jugadoras y jugadores profesionales porque la sub-17 femenil la tienen menos de cinco países. ¿no? Eh... Y queremos apoyar a los jóvenes para que sus procesos pues terminen en México, pero también terminen en Europa. I, uh, should uh, Mikel Arreola, Liga MX president, should he get lost with that statement? I just hope they didn't watch the game together. All, all <laughs> John De Luisa, the Italian executive, and Mikel Arreola. I just I pray that they didn't watch okay. the game together. It looks like he's got eggs, egg on his face, right? It, it's not a good look for Mikel Arreola. I get it. Uh, now, I'm a little conflicted here whether get lost, but I'm going to go with get lost. Not because of what Mexico couldn't do against Guatemala, but because he's confusing winning with developing. And that is a big difference. Now, Mexico wins. Mexico has won at the U-17 level multiple times. World champions. They've won, uh, they, they've gotten very far and competed at the U-20 level. And they've the won at the U-23 yeah. level, which is uh, an Olympic medal. You can win, and they do win. CONCACAF, they always win. That doesn't mean you develop players. Because when you develop players, that means these players that are winning, when they go on to play with actual grown men, they can continue to develop their careers and have long and fruitful careers. We're seeing a trend in Mexican football where these players, 17, 18, 19, 20, those are the lost years for them. And that is it for them in Mexican football. So he's confusing winning with development right there. So here's why I believe he should get lost. I, I asked someone in Liga MX, what's this deal with the Italian Soccer Federation? And what they're trying to do, what Liga MX is trying to do is bringing more eyeballs, European scouts, to Mexico's youth system so that they can probably become more interested in, in acquiring Mexican players at a younger age. Why? Because now there's an admission of guilt by Mikel Arreola. Liga MX now is not developing younger players. And there's a trend with bigger teams like Rayados de Monterrey, Tigres, America, Cruz Azul. When was the last time that we thought, look what a great job they're doing with their youth system, with their academies. I know America won the under 20 tournament in Mexico recently. How many of those players have had a shot 
at the first team. Yeah. So they are admitting Liga MX is now a problem in terms of developing the younger talent. And people need to realize how much or how dependent the Mexican footballer, domestic footballer is on Liga MX. I'll give you a quick example if we compare it to the American player, to the U.S. men's national team eligible player. In Mexico, they're so dependent on Liga MX to form yep. and export their players. But that's not the case for the U.S. men's national team player because you can go to Europe from Major League Soccer, to USL, which is an independent league, second division, from college, so the university level. There are academies. Barcelona has an academy here. There are, New York has, or I'm sorry, City has an academy program here that you can go to from as well. There are players here who hold double passports, so they have uh, the, these dual passports, dual nats. Mexican players don't really have that. They're very limited to that. So there's just different avenues of getting to Europe, uh, of sharpening iron with the best that Mexican players don't have. They're completely dependent on Mexican football. So when you have a certain amount of foreigners or the foreign product and you limit these players and you put a, uh, literally a ceiling on how uh, far they can get, well, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, it's seldom that a good Mexican team in first division actually wins with the youth system, with the younger talent. Uh, we're staying with the under-20 CONCACAF qualifiers. On Tuesday, the U.S. men's national team beat Costa Rica, a brace by Paxton Aronson, yeah. Yes, that's Brandon's brother. Do you see any similarities between the two brothers, Herc? Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mr. Football Americas and Mr. Mini Football Americas. <laughs> they get in the box and they do their thing well. Look at that. It's a good little sweet little finish with the left foot. So 2-0 the victory for the U.S. men's national team. This is now the second half and another good finish inside the five. Yeah, that's what that's what you can do if um, you are pisando. A little outside of the Stepping five. inside the box, you say it's inside the five. I'll I, was, I, said, I thought it was I'll inside. It's five. a little bit outside. That's now, uh, at the end of the game, ugly scenes and suspensions have been handed by Concacaf after this altercations. Kate Cowell suspended three matches for this incident. It got ugly, Herc. Uh, two Costa Rica players have been suspended. Six games. Seven Costa Rican players have been suspended for three matches. Uh, Kate Cowell got caught up in the mix. Yep. I, I know you're frustrated. You saw one of your teammates get kicked, but you're an important player. You're going to miss three matches. A very important game coming up with a lot on the line. It's a learning moment for him. Yeah, ugly scenes at CONCACAF level. You don't want to see this now. Olympic qualifications since 2000. <laughs> Two for the U.S. <laughs> national team. Five for Honduras, and they're going to go head to head again. Honduras. It's always Honduras. Uh, hey, Kyle, why? <laughs> uh, our production shared the stat that it's very, very rare to see both Mexico and the U.S. men's national team playing at the same Olympics. It hasn't happened since 1992, and it's not going to happen again. Uh, 92 or 82? 92, Barcelona. Yeah. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Let's move on. United States men's national team and former Manchester City goalkeeper Zach Steffen is expected to join Middlesbrough on a loan deal through the 22-23 season, sources confirmed to ESPN. Um, 
Zach Steffen spent the last couple of seasons being the backup for Ederson at Manchester City. Now he's looking to become a regular starter and he's moving from the Premier League to the championship to play with Middlesbrough. So, Herc, that's exactly the question. Are you cool with it? Zach Steffen now playing in the championship. I am cool with it, but I will state with an asterisk. Like any, any other footballing World Cup cycle, any other U.S. men's national team, and I wouldn't be cool with it because I'd be saying, why are you leaving a team like City? Wouldn't this jeopardize your chances if you leave City to a team that's in the championship? But Greg Berhalter has shown you that that doesn't matter. I mean, he's literally been at City, and he's given a player who's in Major League so Soccer excuse me, the chance to be the number one. So that's out the window. And it shows me how much he cares about actually wanting to be the number one at the World Cup because you're giving up quite frankly, an advancement in your career. Yep. You're giving up, quite frankly, the Premier League titles and, and the gunning or running for Champions League titles that is City. You're giving up a very promising place to prove that you want to be the number one come World Cup time. So I, I applaud the move. I will have to say we have to recognize something. Uh, Zach Steffen, you have Matt Turner, yep. and you're going to have also... Um, Oh, the name is escaping right now. The goal at Fulham. Yeah, uh, no, Horvath. 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 Thank Horvath. you, sir. Ethan yeah. Horvath. We're all gonna be. Uh, maybe he'll be probably be the only starting goalkeeper, and the other Which, will be backup. So we have to acknowledge how limited the goalkeeper pool is now in the U.S. Men's National Team setup. For the first time in a long time, you may have had uncertainty of who was going to start, but it was. Casey, it was Casey Keller or Brad Friedel, yeah. and you were good yeah. either way. And then it was Tim Howard, and you were set. For the first time, you're seeing a very weakened pool in what was historically the best position in a U.S. men's national team pool. I'm absolutely 100% cool with it. I actually give Zach Steffen a lot of credit. I mean, it, it takes a lot to give up a spot at Manchester City. It's yeah. not easy to no. get there. And once you're That's there... That's a destination. Exactly. You're going to try your hardest to stay there. But let's not forget one thing. He went through a couple of bad mistakes and the atmosphere probably wasn't the best. His relationship with the fans maybe wasn't the best. If he was not even comfortable being a part of the squad, if this could be a fresh start for him, then I think it's 100% it's the right decision. And I say that not only aiming at being the starter at uh, the starter at the World Cup. This, this might be his chance at proving himself also in English football. Maybe this is the chance he was needing to become a regular starter at Middlesbrough. And if things go well, maybe there's another team. I'm not going to say Manchester City, but maybe it's Manchester United. You know, maybe it's, I don't know, know maybe it's Wolves. Maybe it's... You, you know what, Mal? This you is, name it. This is uh, betting on yourself. Because you're saying I'm taking a step back and level. The Which is why I'm giving him a lot of credit. I'm taking a step uh, a step back and level in what is the club situation, but I'm betting myself that I could be a number one here and win my position in the World Cup. And come World Cup time, that's going to open up a lot of doors for me if I can prove myself and I could do well. So he's betting on himself. I applaud that, though it is risky. Yeah, it's it's obviously risky, but I think and I'm talking it is. about his actual career, of course. But it's but but I think right now, right now for him is the right move. Now, reports out of London are suggesting that Chelsea would explore the possibility of trading. 
Christian Pulisic and some cash in exchange for Juventus defender Matthias De Ligt. Chelsea are also looking to add another attacking player with Leeds Rafinha and City's Raheem Sterling leading the way. Main candidate, so Herc, would you be would Juve be his best option? Would that be a great uh, landing spot for Christian Pulisic? if this trade actually goes down. His best option, I'm not sure. A great landing spot, absolutely. And I think we're all under the same conclusion that he needs to leave Chelsea. He needs to go. Rafinha is there. We keep hearing different things about Raheem Sterling. We've seen Neymar's name in the mix. Yeah. If all this Longer shot, but, but yeah, still yeah, in the mix. So in the mix, Christian Pulisic needs to go. It's already a souring relationship with Forget about Thomas Tuchel. Uh, maybe some of that fan base and where they place blame. Uh, and now you're going to go to a team like Juventus, which is a historic team, a very good team, but it's in an absolute need of a facelift. Chiesa is probably the only win winger right now out now. Uh, Cuadrado is playing as a, as a back, and you look at guys like Bernadeschi on their way out. Di Maria has been an option to come in. Uh, this is a player that can come into this team, a very good team that will have Champions League and Serie A actual aspirations, and he'll get to play in a World Cup year. It makes all the sense in the world for me. I absolutely love this. It reunites him for the time being with Weston McKinney, a childhood friend, a U.S. men's national team teammate, in a place where Weston already knows, where he'll come in, he'll get to play, he'll feel wanted, he'll feel happy, heading into a World Cup in a World Cup year. It makes all the sense for me. Serie A is a very good league if you can do this. It just looks on paper, it has the makings of a happy marriage, which is something that we've not seen or said about Christian Pulisic with this club situation in quite some time. And he also has to understand one thing. The people that actually worked on his deal from Borussia Dortmund to Chelsea are no longer part of the team. Everybody left. Once the team changed owners, and I know it is an American owner, but he's delegating and he's bringing his own people. Everybody left. And only uh, Thomas Tuchel is now in charge as the lone, he's not executive, he's the manager, he's the coach, but he was part of the last year when we thought Christian Pulisic had very good games. He was a starter for a stretch of like 10 games or so, and we thought this was maybe the time where he was gonna be able to prove that he belonged there. But as things stand right now, once you start hearing that a team is looking for an attacker, they got it. Now they're looking for another one, and they're looking for another one. Then maybe it's time to leave. Now, I wanted to ask you this, because we obviously are gonna focus on minutes before the World Cup. Christian Pulisic is gonna be the number one name on Greg Berhalter's list, right? He's not fighting for a spot, but you want to be you in be sharp. with him. You want to be sharp. You be so sharp. how you much do you take that in consideration if you're going to make a move to another team? I think you have to. I mean, it's not just Christian Pulisic, his teammate ex-teammate at Chelsea actually made a jump Lukaku. to at Lukaku. Yeah. And we're talking about a hundred, multiple times $100 million man. Uh, it goes to show you how important playing, being sharp, heading to a World Cup year is for these players. Feeling valued, feeling confident. There's something to be said about when you're happy. When you're happy in your situation off the field, it translates on the field. Now, his life off the field at Chelsea may be great, but when you're in that bubble and it's got very little to do with you actually playing, and what I mean by that is you've already got this prejudice against you. Mm. You've already got this judgment made by certain people. He missed this one. He's going to miss it again. And that gets in your head. It's time to leave. So if he actually moves to Juventus and he, he plays in Serie A, 
Is that more of a physical league than the Premier League? And how do you think his style will fit in Serie A? No, I, think it's, I don't think it's a physical league compared to the Premier League at all. Um, it's uh, going to be an older league, a much more mature league for him. So if we're talking Tougher about, league? Uh, tactically, defensively? That, yeah. Maybe. Yes, because uh, it's defensively very world-renowned. But I actually think it suits him. You look at his speed of play, how vertical he can be, uh, how good of a 1v1 player he is. I think there are a few leagues in the world that don't suit Christian Pulisic, but Serie A is that league I think he could do some damage in for sure. Another American player changing kits for the upcoming European season is Jordan Pifok. He's set to join Union Berlin. Pifok was the Swiss league's top scorer. 22 goals with young boys. Is this his best next step, Herc? I don't know what his options were, so it's tough to say best next step. I will tell you this. We've heard Greg Berhalter say, I don't want to, we're referring to these young players, yeah. you know, leaving for Europe, or these young players making the next step. I want to see them dominate where they are first. Well, he just dominated the Swiss League, you know, <laughs> he's golden boot. So now he's going to place in FC, uh, Union Berlin, excuse me, uh, that is an Europa League uh, team. So he's going to a place where he's going to be valued, where he's going to be used as a step up. They were one point off the Champions League race off of Leipzig, a very good Leipzig team towards the end. So it shows you the step up in a very technical, a very good tactical league. And I'll tell you what, if he is scoring goals in the Bundesliga, there yeah. is no way Greg Berhalter keeps him off the list. Absolutely. That, that to me, is key, 100%. If he's going to be a regular goal scorer, I mean, actually, if he's going to be a regular starter, right? That's, that's the first question. We will touch on uh, Ricardo Pepe's topic in just a moment. But to me, that is the big question for Jordan Pifok. Are you going to be a starter? Are you going to have enough minutes to prove yourself? He's not going to score 22 goals in the Bundesliga next season, right? Hey, but, hey, well... Hey, hey, everything, anything can happen, right? If you dream it, anything is possible. But but if you're if you're able to become a regular player, well, that's Europa producer. League and Union Berlin was the surprise of the season last year at the Bundesliga. Listen, great fans behind him. Okay? He's gonna be in a yeah. place great, great where he's family. valued. Yeah. Uh, is going to be in a team that, honestly, offensively, they're they're very decent, the upper half. It's a good balanced team. You're going to play Europa League. You're going to have the Pokal as well. You're going to get chances to get on the field and put the ball in the back of the net. Now it's up to him. It's up to him. But if you could put the ball in the back of the net, all these haters, all these naysayers, all these critics who said he missed the goal in Azteca, that's going to that's gonna evaporate. That's going to go away, and you got a chance at a World Cup. Right. Still number nine, a great topic of conversation every time I talk to you guys. <laughs> hey, I don't know who's Who's, who's in bigger trouble? The U.S. Men's National Team or the Mexican National Team when it comes oh, to the number true, to right? the number nine? Uh, speaking of Ricardo Pepe, it finally happened. He scored. Run it back on Football Americas. This is Ricardo Pepe's first goal with Augsburg. Is the first warm-up match for his club before the Bundesliga starts. Very nice tap in, and it's and it's good to see him back in the score sheet. Okay, it's not a Bundesliga team he scored against. Okay, it's a preseason game. It's actually another care. Augsburg team, by the way. I don't care. Goals are important for any nine. This is how you get your mind right. This is how you get your feet back underneath you. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. 
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, MLS action during the week. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the good. What a game. What a first half. These happened. Cincinnati hosting New York City. And Cincinnati was taking a commanding 3-0 lead. Herc, I, I switched channels after the third goal. I thought the game was over. And oh my God, was I wrong. Uh, Lucho Costa with the first goal, assist on the second goal. That's Brenner. We got a Brenner sighting. Yes, that Brenner. Uh, is he done? No. He's not. Look at this. Look at Brennan. Nice. Does this count as a bicycle kick or not? Overhead kick. Wait, Overhead wait, kick. Is this a, could be, maybe, I don't know. Production may surprise us. Uh, top 10 goal of the week nominee. Mm. But we got a game 3-0. Uh, at least for, uh-oh. No. Yeah, that's, no. A, that's a PK. And we all thought, okay. Okay, we might have a comeback. But, mm. Maxi Morales, uh, not so fast, my friend. So you're telling me Maxi Morales actually missed this? Yes. Well? Yes. Right, we're still down, down three scores. Look at the look at the clock. 45, 45th minute. Somehow, somehow, Magno scores. It's three to one. We're all gonna go to the locker room, right, and take a risk. No, no, no. Half is not over. And here's Heber. Let me tell you something about Ever. People are sleeping on Ever. He tore his ACL a few seasons ago, and people are sleeping on him. Do not sleep on Ever. Look, that's number two on Ever. I told you not to sleep. Now, now we're at three. Four again. It's three all. Fifty second minute. The comeback. Wow. Now New York is leading the game. What a score by Pereira. Uh, Pereira solo, uh, solo, solo, solo. Yo Pereira solo. <laughs> He's by himself and wants to step up. 70th minute, Brenner added again. Patrick for him, and it's 4-4. Fun stat, by the way, fun fact. Seven goals scored by Brasileños, but it's not over. Before the end of the game, Cincinnati for the win. Yes! Uh But we have to go and take a look at the VAR. Brenner with a poker. But not so fast. Goal disallowed. Close call, by the way. Close it's, it's goal. The second one. It's, he's in an offside yes. position. Uh, ridiculous save by Sean Johnson in the first effort. Still 4-4 game. This is nuts. MLS Madness. after dark. Whatever you want to add into it. But I loved it. Uh, this is the bad. Jalen Russell, he got traded from Toronto FC to Columbus crew. And what do you know? First time he plays for Columbus, he faces Toronto. And what does he do? He hands two assists only in the first half. Yeah, Jason Jason Russell Rowe uh, was actually the MLS Pro Next Player of the Year or Player of the Year, Player of the Month of May. Uh, signs a contract with the first team. <laughs> what does he do? Oh, my ex team, let me just hurt you with two assists in the first half. I'll tell you what, TFC is struggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's my boy Carlos Salcedo doing, by the way? Mm. Not so good. Mm. Not so good. Well, if you trade me, this is what happens. I'm going to hand it back right away. And the ugly. Jose Martinez, he already had an incident before this match. But he seems to have, again, flipped off the fans. And it's not the only thing that he would do. He was sent off in oh, the no. 72nd minute. Second yellow. There's the first ugly gesture. But it's not over. And then he's mooning the fans. What is he doing, Herc? I have no idea. That's why we blurred it. Uh, 
What is that about? Like, hey, at least he kept his undies on. He got suspended last <laughs> week. Uh, and now he's doing it again this week. That was crazy. Epic goal or epic fail? LAFC hosting Dallas. Jesus Ferreira. It looks like it's a fantastic goal, but... Is it a nice goal or a bad mistake by Maxime Kripal? So it's so bad I nominated this as one is the loneliest number. Maximo, Maxime Kripal, it's bad. Tries to take a step anticipating the cross and eats this one completamente. Like this is, this should never happen to a goalkeeper. You got to keep this. That's the key. The key is the first step. Yeah. If, you, if you at home are watching this and if you want to make up your mind, if the goalkeeper takes a step forward and then he tries to pedal back, and it's a golden mistake. LAFC introduced Giorgio Chiellini on Wednesday at the Bank of California Stadium. Yes, he's 37 years old, but he says he's in great shape. He says he has watched a lot of Major League Soccer games. He knows a lot about his team, his teammates. There's an introduction, and then Giorgio Chiellini had the time to address the media and his new fans. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, it's normal. Uh, we, we have just uh, three, three designated players and uh, the, the forward. But I, I, I read on the, um, on the US that the, the, the forwards, the, the attack sell tickets, the defense uh, win the league. Then I. Uh, <laughs> and then it, this is my goal and my, my target. Well, that's right. He's not a designated player, right? He won't make all of those millions, but... Hey, I'm he, sure he doesn't need them. <laughs> should he get lost? Attackers sell tickets, defenders win the league. No, he shouldn't get lost. Look, it, it, th there are a few sporting cliches that are actually true. This is one of them. You know, defense wins championships is what he's trying to say, and that's the truth. Historically speaking, in this league and in many other leagues, a sound defensive team... A very stingy team will do well in a playoff format, will do well when it comes final time. I've got zero issue with this. I, I think he was actually very charismatic. Yeah, I'm yeah. very surprised by the level of his English. He's very charismatic individual. He seems to already be embracing everything that is Los Angeles. They got a good one, and they got a good one on the cheap. And I say that with the utmost respect. This was a great piece of business. So I like the shift on philosophies for LAFC. Four years into the league, what seemed to be their strategy? Scouting in South America, right? Getting younger players, some of them for a hefty price, some of them not for so much for a hefty price. We're able to do good business with them, but it seems like they were lacking some star power, right? Other than Carlos Vela, of course, but after, after the last two seasons of what we saw with Carlos Vela, who was going to be that star for LAFC? That's why I love the move so much. How much do you think he can impact on the field with his current team, which, by the way, LAFC, best team in Major League Soccer so far. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Tough to say. I mean, he's physically fit. I think he'll be a good force next to Murillo. I think that'll be a very dynamic duo. And I say dynamic in the sense that it's going to be very difficult to, to get past him. But it's a player that's not proven to stay healthy or to play full full seasons. And this is a very physically demanding league. We, we called a game not too long ago. It was a 12 o'clock game. 
it was 12 o'clock, sun beating down on you. Uh, Red Bull had a lot of trouble with it. I'm yeah. sure Giorgio Kalini is not going to be fond of it. But if he's physically fit, I've no, I, I've got no doubt he will be a, a welcome addition for LAFC. Yeah, there, there's there's questions. Where where uh, is the team going to feel his impact more? Right on the field or off? the field yeah. as a leader, as someone who has been there before on tough situations, who's a consummate winner, right? That impact in the locker room, also a big part of why LAFC uh, put their sight on Giorgio Chiellini. Without a doubt. And it, it sounds dumb thinking this is a long-term relationship with Giorgio Chiellini because you're just like, well, he's probably not going to be here next year or 18 months from now. But it's what he can continue to nurture and develop within the club with some of those players, maybe take, maybe take some of those guys like, like fall under his wing, a 19-year-old center back. I mean, what, what a luxury for some of those. Uh, one extra DP spot for LAFC. You talk about defense-winning championships. Goalkeeper, still a question mark for LAFC, and it has been a question mark every season. Do you use that last DP spot on a world-class goalkeeper? Uh, it's my camera That's here. your camera right If here. you're a GM and you use a DP on a goalkeeper, <laughs> resign. Why? Resign. Why? H hand in your what? credentials. Why? 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 Because you're in a salary cap league, and that's just handcuffing yourself even further. I, there are so many other places you can use an actual player of importance. No. Goal goalkeepers can win trophies, too. Yeah, they could also lose them. Well, I mean... Of course they can lose him, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to repeat what my, my producer just, repeat it. Just, just, just told me. I just don't think that's that's a crazy idea. It, I think you, crazy. I think you have to go. You're set, you're set on the rest of the field, right? You have your forwards. Fine. You have a solid midfield. Good. You already have a very strong back line. Why are, why are you not at least consider using that DP spot you can for a world-class goalkeeper. You can use him anywhere else. You could use him in the midfield. You could use it as a defensive midfielder. You could use it as another nine. You could use whatever you want, bring another superstar. Don't waste it on a goalkeeper. All right, you can catch LAFC this weekend on ESPN+. They're visiting Vancouver Whitecaps on Saturday. We start at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on ESPN+. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Drama, drama, drama in the Open Cup. Last match of the quarterfinals. Orlando Dam 1-0. Mighty fourth minute. And they find the net, the equalizer. Herc Rodrigo Schlegel <laughs> with a save. <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. And it's 1-0. Schlegel's a cult hero. You remember those penalty kicks with the field player clums in? That was him. <laughs> that was him. All right, then we're going to PKs. Oh, no, look at that. It's a good finish. Facundo Torres with a nice finish. He's been a good addition. Yeah, and this is Eric Miller, and oh, it's no. El Peruano. Galese with the save, and Orlando City with a lot of drama, man. Yeah, coming off of the World Cup qualifiers also. Another hard PK, and Orlando will play 
Red Bulls, Sacramento Republic, after beating the LA Galaxy, they're gonna play Sporting Kansas City, both games on July 27. When you take a look at the bracket, who you got? Who's winning it all? I'll take Orlando City. And I know the producer was surprised about by this. I mean, when I look, at I the, was too. Well, well look I at the talent. Too. You got Pereira. You got Torres. Facundo Torres has been good. Cara. You got Juan. Juan, the the right back. Galese. You have Pato as well. Uh, maybe starting to coming off the bench. You've got a decent team, and you got Oscar Pareja, the head coach. And Oscar Pareja has won the Open Cup before. And Oscar Pareja has actually taken this Orlando City team to a final. Let's not forget, not too long ago. MLS's back tournament, they made yep. it to the final, so they've got a penchant for knowing how to play these type of tournament settings. And I look at the field, they have home field advantage if they want. I mean, throughout, they could host yep. the Open Cup final as well. They happen to be undefeated at home in Orlando. So I'm going to stick with Orlando right here, especially when looking at the field. So it's just an easy choice for me. So I, I think whoever comes out of the top of the bracket, right, which is Red Bulls and Orlando. I think that team is going to win the cup. But I think I'm going to go Red Bulls. I think that that's, that's a very solid squad. When they have a full squad, a healthy squad, they're, they're, they're tough to beat. They're very, very tough to beat. It's, it's, it's going to be a very even, a very close game. I don't see any, any clear favorite between them two. Uh, and and we pretty much are, we are, we both are giving no chance to either Sporting Kansas City or Sacramento. Well, I wouldn't say no chance. I mean, the well, producer you just said for you, it's very clear that Orlando is well, a favorite. Well, they have home field throughout, but I'm not saying no chance. If you look at a team like Sporting Kansas City, the producers, what about Sporting Kansas City? They're supposed to be a very good team in the Open Cup. They are, but... This is still a team that's without Garikinder, without Alan Pulido. Those are two DPs. They're very Jekyll and Hyde. They leak in goals constantly. They have trouble scoring goals. They're very dependent on uh, on Johnny Russell and what a player like Daniel Shalloway could do. So, you know, and, and do I do I say a team like Sacramento Republic is completely out of it? No. I mean, hosting a game at home, it's a very special thing for any fan base, especially a fan base, a second division USL fan base that's for them, this is the biggest game they're ever going to play, that they're ever going to see in front of them with their, with their club team. So I, I don't say, hey, there's no chance there. No, they're the Cinderella story by, uh, by, by any means. But uh, if you are a neutral fan, right, do you want Sacramento to make it all the way to the final? Of course Or I would do. you rather see two MLS teams facing off I each want, other for No, I'd rather see Sacramento make it to the final. I'd, I think that would be an enormous uh, just uh, notch on the belt for, for American soccer in general. We see these type of things all over the world. We see it happen in the FA Cup, and people say it's the magic of the FA Cup. While yeah. all of a sudden, if it yeah. happens here, exactly. do we have to make exactly. less of it? Uh, both teams, we're going to watch uh, both games on ESPN+. Plus. That's on July 27th, on Wednesday, July 27th, starting with Orlando City hosting Red Bulls at... The game starts at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, followed by Sacramento Republic, Sporting Kansas City, 10.30 p.m. approximately Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, also here on ESPN+. The U.S. women's national team playing again against uh, Colombia, this time at Rio Tinto Stadium in Salt Lake City. Great story during the game. This is Carson Pickett. On Tuesday, she became the first person with a limp difference to appear for the U.S. women's national soccer team. And the game started right for uh, the American Sofia Huerta, forcing an own goal by Manuela Venegas. This was on the 22nd minute. 
Yeah, Sofia Huerta does a very good job of uh, sending a ball and she can whip in a great cross. She's proven it at NWSL level. She's doing it again here, forces the own goal. And then after a delay due to lightning, 77 minute, Kaylee O'Hara, first time scoring since 2016 for the U.S. Women's National Team. Oh, look at this, get on the end of it. We can give it to the right back. And look at, nice little finish, just strokes it very nicely right there. Not too strong, very good technique. Look at the bend, bending right back in. 2-0, the victory for the U.S. Women's National Team. Here's the schedule for the CONCACAF W Championship starting on Monday, July 4th, playing against Haiti and then Jamaica, tournament will be played in Monterrey, Mexico. They're playing actually host Mexico on July 11th. Vladka, let's take a minute to look ahead to the CONCACAFW Championship. Let's talk about where it is first, because I think for a lot of people, it's gonna be their first chance seeing uh, what the buzz around women's soccer in Mexico uh, has become. What do you think about this tournament being held in Monterrey and, and what kind of crowds do you expect? I'm actually excited. Uh, I'm excited because uh, I think that uh, this group needs something different. You know, uh, they've only played uh, in, in this country in front of their own uh, crowd. We were just now um, in Denver, uh, almost 20,000 people there, full stadium. Everybody's chanting their name, they're cheering them up. And in some ways, it's cool and easy. But now we got to go where just as many fans or not double that are cheering against them or for the opponent. I think that's uh, that's important for, for this group to, to see, to experience, because that may be the case uh, if we hopefully uh, qualify for the World Cup, where we're going to have to play in front of 30, 40,000 people that uh, they're going to cheer against us. And uh, we, we, you know, we got to figure out a way, we got to find a way to, to grind through those games, to, to grind results out, to, to, to play against, uh, against the opponent, against the fans, against the environment. So it, it, it is an exciting moment and uh, exciting tournament. I know when you're thinking of hostile environments, you think about the, the USA-Mexico potential game there in the group phase. Um, what do you expect from this Mexico team? It's, it's got a lot of players in the league that's up and coming, but maybe a lot of players that at least American fans um, don't know about it. it. It seems like a program that has kind of hit its rock bottom and now is on the way up. What do you make of Mexico? I think that uh, the, they're going to turn heads uh, uh, if they qualify for the World Cup, which I, you know, I think they're great. Uh, uh, great team and uh, we can see that there has been a systematic improvement uh, it, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a team that was just a throw or a group of players just thrown together it, it, it is very obviously that uh, very obvious that uh, there is a system behind it there is a plan behind it and we can see the growth uh, from one uh, FIFA window to another I think they have uh, uh, they have amazing coach who uh, who's grown within the within the system and uh, has a plan and knows what uh, what she's doing so uh as uh, it, it is very exciting also for us that is in the same uh, uh confederation you know in Concacaf, it's it's exciting to have not not just canada being the being a rival now mexico is a big rival as well you mentioned canada we obviously have to bring up the semi-final at the olympics i'm sure that's on a lot of the minds of a lot of the players on your team just how big a rival are they and and what do you expect from canada in this tournament 
Yeah, I mean, Canada, uh, Canada uh, has always been a rival, and it will, I feel like always be a rival. Uh, and uh, everybody's looking forward to to play them, regardless whether it's an official tournament, a friendly game, or or just a regular uh, un, uh, tournament. But uh, I think that they're, they're a tremendous squad, and uh, ever since uh, uh, ever ever since uh, uh, they they started getting ready for the Olympics, we could see the the change. Uh, we could see, we, we could see the, the improvements uh, as well, and then showed in the Olympics that uh, you know how good they, they are and uh, that they're capable of be, uh, beating anyone at any point in time. The tournament is obviously World Cup qualifying at doubles, is Olympic qualifying as well. We know there's only that one guaranteed spot at the next Olympics uh, in this tournament. Of course, you want to be the boss of your confederation as well. You want to be the boss of your region. Uh, is this tournament must win for you? Every game is a must-win for us. It's uh, it's not a question. We you know we come out uh, to play the games, obviously to to grow through whether it's a friendly game or uh, or official to grow through and get better. But uh, the one thing that never comes in question, but it's uh, everybody everybody knows it is a must-win. Mm. Uh, and as a tournament, you look at that and you say, okay, the expectation for this group is is to win the tournament. Do you draw a line there between a successful tournament and a failure tournament at? at winning and losing, or can it be looked at bigger than that? So, I mean, ever since, uh, when I got this job, one, one thing that I learned very early in the job, and no one, no one has told me, no one has said anything, no one has put pressure on me in one way or another, is just the, the common sense and understanding that uh, if we don't win, regardless of what we compete in, it's not good enough. So that's the, that's the standard that, uh, that I set up for myself, that every player sets up for himself. And that's uh, that's just, uh, like I said, it's a common sense that uh, we go out and we have to win. That's it. Now, uh, there's so many other things that we look at. And, you know, part of the uh, part of the success uh, is the, the, the process that we go through. Part of the success is the change of generation. Part of the success, part of success is uh, discovering young players or preparing young players for the for the next World Cup, but also setting um, uh, setting uh, the the base for what is going to be 2027 and uh, and furthermore. All right, so he said he was going to be a part of this show. Now, how confident are you that this team will? And the, here's a key: dominate the qualifiers. Dominate. Dominate. Yeah. Pasar caminando. We yeah, say in a walk in the park, right? Yeah, I, I don't think that's my comfort level would be them dominating. Now, we are seeing a trend. We saw it versus Colombia. We saw it in the She Believes Cup. Uh, there is some trouble generating opportunity, quality chances. There is some trouble putting them back of the net. I know that players like Alex Morgan, Sophia Smith, Mallory Pugh are red hot in the N NWSL. Alex Morgan's leading the league. But we're still not seeing those chances being one, generated, and two, yeah. end up in the back of the net. With this team, with this very young team, with Vlaco's new version of this team, now they're going to head into what should be hostile territory, right? They're going to be in Monterrey in front of probably 40,000 plus. Let's see how they react to it. Let's see how they do there. Now, Haiti and Jamaica are no walk in the park as well. They've got some quality players that could present tons of problems. Will they win? Yes. And you heard Vlaco. That's the ex they're expected to win. He, he almost said he almost without saying it was insulted by Seb's question of you know the expectations that is the expectation to win to dominate I'm not so sure we're there yet uh they they come to the tournament as the number one ranked 
team in FIFA rankings. So that says a lot, but the pressure of playing these qualifiers and the pressure of having this label that you have to dominate, it all starts with winning. It all starts with playing well, then winning. Then if you have the chance, you can also dominate. We'll talk about, of course, of the qualifiers in the next episodes of Football Americas. Uh, we had the chance to catch up with Madison Hammond from Angel City Football Club, from with Riley Turner from UCLA Soccer at Nike's Title IX event last week. Nike also celebrating 50 years of heritage, supporting helping younger women, girls, and they had some of their bigger athletes discussing how they have impacted with their careers, with their example, and leading change for their communities. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. I think if you look back at the last 50 years of what Title IX has done, it has provided women with a lot of autonomy and agency to go and achieve things, you know, you can, and not only in sport, if you want to be a C-suite executive, you can go do that. If you want to be the boss, you can do that. If you want to just have big dreams, you can do that. And I think when we look forward to the next 50 years, it's like, okay, then how do we diversify those voices? How do we make sure that it's not just one voice that's being heard, one type of athlete, one type of experience, but being able to give access to girls of color, um, non-binary athletes, and kind of propelling their stories through sport because at the end of the day we're athletes, we're competitors and at the end of the day the job is about winning but is there a way to make that space available for all types of voices? It's 50 years of Titan Line, 50 years of Nike as well. Um, how do you think sports have impacted all along the way the fight for equality? I think you know we've come so far but we've also just gotten started. Mm -hmm. um, we see NIL as an opportunity for men and women to make money to have a voice in college, but we also see businesses like Nike pushing for women's voices in sports and uplifting women and giving them an opportunity to tell their story. What can you tell me about the need for having more female coaches both at college level and now especially at the pro level? So I have had two female coaches in the NWSL and I think their experiences and ability, ability to relate to their players is so different than a male perspective because there is a level of relatability, you know, for a woman who's had a past in sports and understands sports, understands what it's like to be in that position of that player. It just, I think, would bring out even more in um, elite athletes at all levels. Speaking of impact and athletes like yourself, uh, this is a great event because you get to uh, share your experience, right? Share your career. And at the same time, you see a lot of young girls that look up to you and want to be like you. Now, when you talk about the impact that coaches had on you, how can you use that to now yourself make an impact on the younger generation? So for my personal journey, I became, I was just out here trying to, you know, earn a professional contract and as soon as I signed one, it was, oh, you're actually the first Native American to play in the NWSL. And 
at the time I saw it as a lot of pressure and responsibility and now I see it as that opportunity you know to be that role model and create that level of relatability with not only young girls but all young kids to you know see that if, if you're not in a space that's okay and you can enter it and then bring people along behind you so I think the message that I try to send is you know to continue to work hard but it's okay to be one of one hopefully I'm not one of one forever but um, kind of having that opportunity allows you to show others that it's okay to enter a space that you're that you have not been in before who do you look up to when was it when you said I want to be not only an athlete but I want to be someone that also is a part of a change for younger generations well I think that just ties back to role models me growing up I see Serena Williams, I see Flo Jo, I see Brianna Scurry, and all of those trailblazers before me are the reason why I'm here today, and I might be the reason why a little girl pursues her dreams. And I think that, you know, when it comes full circle, you think, yeah, great things are happening for women right now, but you have to look into the past and say, well, why am I here today? Great to see companies and athletes coming together. Uh, the future of the sport is also part of the future of society, right? It is, you know, and I look at this maybe in my own selfish way. I'm a father of a four-year-old little girl, and, and that hits, it rings so true, you know, the, the need for role models, positive role models. And, and I don't know the first thing about being a positive role model to a little girl. You know, I could only show her, and I mean this in the best possible way, I could only show her good positive role models in terms of uh, her sporting figures or idols if we want to go down that road. So things like this are, are vital. And in, case, in the case of Riley, uh, she's Nike's first NIL athlete. And as a part of her deal, she also gets to choose a community where she can make a difference as part of, a, of this deal, which I believe is a, is a great job. So it was great catching up with them. Great event um, and great to be a part of it. Let's move on. Big, big trade. Sidney LaRue is coming to LA. Uh, the trade actually was officialized with Orlando. Orlando will receive a first round pick in 2024 and $75,000 in allocation money plus incentives. What does this mean for Sidney LaRue and Angel City Football Club? Well, Sidney LaRue, it's a chance of getting back, and I don't want to say limelight, but getting a chance to play in a team where she's going to be valued in here in sunny Los Angeles, California, and back maybe on that national team picture. But this is crazy. Yeah. Look at the Orlando Pride recent notable departures. <laughs> Forget about the players for a second. You look at the players who have left, there's been uh, a suspended leave right now, indefinite suspended leave for, the, for a few of the coaches from some... Uh, uh, Abuse accusations, if you will. Something's going on in Orlando. We don't know what it is, but something is going on in Orlando because this is nuts. It's a lot of players, but it's also the names. It's great players that are no longer part of Orlando Pride. Uh, something happened in Guadalajara also today that it's, it's bad, sad, really sad news. Guadalajara Chivas confirmed that JJ Macias is out for the, the season. The season starts on Friday and JJ Macias ruptured ACL on Thursday during training session likely to miss eight to nine months. We both spoke on how we thought this was gonna be make or break season for JJ Macias. Very sad news. Especially because there's no clear nine in the horizon, right? 
no clear nine in the horizon uh, when it comes to the uh, the Mexican national team, excuse me. And this is a player who's only 22 years of age. And when you look at the previous years, I'm talking about the last three years, last year wasn't a very productive year for him. He still has over 30 goals in those three years. Now, people, that, that's a good amount of goals for a Mexican yeah. forward yeah. in Liga yeah, Mexico. It's a good bad. amount of goals for a Mexican <laughs> forward playing anywhere. He could have been in that conversation, in that topic of maybe – possibly being with the Mexican national team. Now, he had bad luck in Spain. He barely played, comes back to Chivas. Not great start, not really scoring. So, uh, specifically for Chivas, is this something, nothing, or everything? Because people are saying, well, he wasn't really being a factor since he came back. It's everything because he wasn't being a factor when he came back and Chivas also didn't do anything when he came back. So you're banking on him being healthy and on Chivas, Chivas doing something. Now, Chivas is better when they played with an actual nine. They didn't with Michel Leaño. They do with Cadena and it looked the difference. We've called a few of their games in preseason and he looked the part. He looked yeah, fit. Yeah. He looked hungry. He was scoring goals. Uh, I had banked on him being my surprise of the season. I thought he would have a very good season. This is very unfortunate for the player, very unfortunate for the club. Options at number nine, Ángel Saldívar, uh, who most likely will be the starter, yeah. El Ingeniero, uh, El Chevy. <laughs> Sorry, but we all call Chivas players by their nicknames. I just love their nicknames. Ángel uh, Saldívar, Chevy Martínez, or Paolo Irizar. Paolo Irizar was signed last season for Tapatio, which is the team The affiliate the team. Expansion yeah. team, but now will be a part of the first team, he will make the roster. He was actually informed by Ricardo Peláez, who, by the way, also said Chivas is out of the Orbelín Pineda race. They don't want to <laughs> have to do anything with Orbelín Pineda. And, it, and it's also a conversation. Excuse me. That's like me saying I'm out of the <laughs> Sofia Vergara race. I pull myself out. Uh, Sofia Vergara and Were I. Were you ever? Yeah, well, exactly. Race, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, Liga MX starts this Friday. So we are ready to give you some bold predictions. Let's book it. All right, Hurt, what's your bold prediction for the Apertura 2022 Liga MX? So you know that I feel that Rayados of Monterrey has the most luxurious roster in all of Mexican football. You said football. that before, yes. Yes. Fracaso Rayados. That is my bold prediction. You've got players. Funes Mori, who right now is one of the leading nine candidates for the Mexican national team. Oh all-time all-time goal scorer for Rayados of Monterrey. But you just got Brian Aguirre, the Uruguayan from Necaxa. Rodrigo Aguirre. Oh, Rodrigo Aguirre, sorry. From, yes. And you also have Germán Berterame, who's one of the better players in Liga MX. Uh, you just signed Joao Rojas. You have Maxi Mesa there. You have Celso Ortiz. You've got Joel Campbell. Hey, Rodolfo Pizarro. Don't You've forget Rodolfo. Rodolfo Pizarro. Don't sleep on Rodolfo Pizarro. And yet, my bold prediction is they will play some of the worst football and it will be a fracaso. Now, okay, I, I, I see the topic bar. I was going to ask you, what does fracaso mean yeah, for yeah. this team? This this roster should get directly, they should be fighting for first, second place. They should get directly into Ligia. They'll go into Ligia, maybe uh, Repechaje or somewhere along the lines of in there. But it will by no means be aesthetic. It by no means be pleasing. You want to hear my bold prediction? Sure. All right, here we go. Juan Ignacio Dineno. Pumas yeah. number nine yeah. will be the league's top scorer. He will win Liga MX Golden Boot in Apertura 2022. Do I have any facts to support this? Absolutely not. Do I? <laughs> there he is. Semi Salazar made an appearance. This is like a, like, <laughs> like a real possibility. 
Probably not. This is why this segment is called Bold Prediction. Now, hear me out. I don't necessarily believe that Pumas are gonna do great during the season, but we never do, right? We never do. But they made some moves this offseason that were very, very interesting. They brought Del Prete, another strike. He's not a, he's a forward. He's not necessarily a goal scorer, so he's gonna team up with Juan Ignacio Dineno. They were able to outbeat Boca Juniors. For Toto Salvio, who was a very, very good player at Benfica, Atletico de Madrid, was part of the Argentina team in the last World Cup in Pumas Russia. Pumas outbid him. Pumas outbid <laughs> Boca Juniors. So that's got to mean something. And he, Toto Salvio, will be the key here. I believe that tandem is going to work really well. And I see, I see Juan Ignacio Dineno scoring nine goals. That's probably going to be more than enough to win Liga MX's Golden Boot. You know that in the last, I want to say, two years, four seasons, he's not scored over four goals a season? That's why it's a bold prediction. All right. That's exactly why that is a bold Champions prediction. Champions League goal scorer, though. By the way, uh, Football Americas will not be on your TV or computer on Mondays, July 4th. Watch uh, a lot of MLS action on Tuesday. We'll be back. And what a show that we have for Tuesday. Hector Herrera and Giorgio Chiellini, and most likely Sebastián Salazar. The three of them will be on the show. That's what we do, baby. Yeah. It's, it's your favorite show. It's your favorite show, America's show. This is for you. All right, that's it for us. Hercules, thank you for having me on your Thanks show. Thanks for coming, I man. Appreciate I appreciate it. somebody it's saving face. It's always a pleasure. Anytime, somebody bro. Somebody saving face. Anytime. We'll see you next time. Football Americas.